So we're in part two of the series called Heaven and Hell and Everything in Between. And this is kind of an intense series, but so far it's gone pretty well because we're asking a very simple question. And that question is, what is really going on? And this feels really important right now because the last two years have been pretty bumpy for our world and our community and what's going on with pandemics and viruses and vaccines and masks, not to mention racial struggles and political differences and so much angst and so much anger. And you know, you ask the question, don't you? What's really going on? Not to mention you just get to your own little household. And when things feel like they're just kind of falling apart and you go, what's really going on? And last week, if you were here, if you weren't, we'd love for you to go back and watch the messages. The message. Um, we talked about that fa- the fact that a long, long time ago, there was an actual governance war in heaven. You see, there was God the creator And there was Lucifer, who was this covering angel. And Lucifer decided what many of us have decided. I don't want God to rule my life. I don't want God to govern my life. I want to rule my life. And we all have experienced that. And it's got us all into trouble. Well, in heaven in that moment, there was not a power struggle because God was the power. And so Lucifer was cast out with a third of his angels. It was just an amazing story. But what it created two forces that were work in our world, good and evil, darkness and light, heaven and hell. And that's what we're talking about. And a couple, a couple years later, many, many years later, the Apostle Paul comes along and he talks about these two forces. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, that these two forces, good and evil, heaven and hell, are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions, that the centerpiece is that there's a battle raging between our spirit and our flesh with the God that lives in us, for those of us that follow God, and our flesh, which is that dark, sinful thing that we carry around. And here's what we know. One's force is going to be more dominant than the other. And in this season of our world, this is why I wanted to talk about this, it feels like there's just a lot of darkness going on as these two forces battle. Now, I tried to come up with a really great you know, comparison of two forces battling, one that always wins and one that doesn't win. And I thought the easy one would be Ohio State and Michigan in football, but I thought that's not fair. Right, Because then if you talk about Ohio State Michigan, then you got to talk about Alabama and Ohio State, and that's not going so well either. And hopefully this is going to be our year. Dang it, Alabama, I'm so mad at you. Um, Nick Saban, I love you. Never mind, I'm not going to make any bad statements about Nick. So anyway, so, so what we know is, we said this last week, we live in this world that we can see between heaven and hell. But there's two realms that are at war, and they, they fight in this world. And there's the seen, and there's the unseen. And our reality is we see that. And we have a choice every day of our lives. We can have order that God brings or we can have chaos. We can have light or we can have dark. We can have God the creator creating great things in us or we can have darkness destroy us. And this shows up in our lives all the time. And this is what the thought we had that was so helpful for me as I thought through this in my own life. That every day of our lives we get to wake up and we can bring heaven down into our world or we can bring hell up. And we've all seen heaven come down. We've seen families stick together through hard things. And at the other side of hard things, beautiful things happen. We've seen dads decide, I'm going to be a great dad to my children, or mom being a great dad to my, or mom being a great mom to my kids. We've seen single people decide, I'm going to live with integrity and live with love, and I'm going to walk a path that's righteous and pure. And there's a reward in that. It's beautiful. And we go, that's just like a picture of heaven. 
And then all of us have seen hell cup into our lives. Broken families, broken hearts, a broken world. And you got to decide, you know, who is going to govern my life? Who is going to govern it? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be darkness? Or is it going to be God the creator through his son, Jesus? Now here's something that's really interesting. That all of us, when we think about heaven and hell and everything in between... Everybody has what I would call a worldview. You have one, I have one, and a worldview is simply this. It's a framework of ideas and beliefs that formulate our perspective on, our interpretations of, and interactions with the world around us. And you have this, and I have this in our lives. And this is what we've come to discover, that our worldview, it creates a culture It creates a culture in our personal lives, in our home, in our community, and in our world, and this is where the rubber meets the road today, that plays out in the way we practice our life. It plays out in the way we run our families. It plays out in the way, you know, we handle our sexuality. It plays out in the way we, you know, live through our marriages. Or it drives us into some broken places, and we said this last week. We said it, you know, it hits us in a place where we just decide, listen, God brought an order to the world when it comes to our relationships. And this was strong and got a little bit of feedback, which is okay. Listen, sex outside of marriage is not the way God created marriage and did not create our sexuality that way. We, we said this, you know, our practice is, guys, listen, you keep looking at pornography. It's going to destroy part of your lives as you keep going down that road. If we just live in greed and we borrow more than we you know, have, we're just going to keep, keep be a, a slave to the lender over and over and over again. And how do we practice in a way our lives that glorifies God? And a lot of this has to do with our worldview. Now, in a couple weeks, I'm going to talk about five different worldviews that I think is going to be pretty interesting. But for the next two weeks that I hope you show up for, I want to primarily talk about the main weapons of heaven and hell. Now, it's interesting when we talk about worldviews, because again, I said everybody has a worldview, and there's hundreds, maybe thousands of different worldviews, and they were affected by the way you grew up, your parents, you know, the mistakes you made, the mistakes you didn't make, and the religious views that you have along the way. And here's what's interesting about almost all worldviews. Worldviews say this, if you believe this, whatever this is, if you follow this regimen, if you do these things, if you have this system of understanding, then you'll be more enlightened. And we see this in every worldview. You have the light. You will see what other people don't see. And it's all around beliefs and practices. What makes Christianity so intriguing and distinctive is When Jesus came, he did not say, hey, if you believe this, you will be enlightened. If you practice this religiously, you'll have the light. He showed up and he said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, if you go where I go, you won't have to walk in darkness anymore because you have the light that leads to life. If you want to know how to solve the darkness, Jesus would say, it is in me. And we've said this so many times. He made such crazy claims that either he was arrogant or lying or they were the truth. And he said, the way you walk through your darkness and find light is in me and nothing else. Now, when we talk about light and darkness in our world, it doesn't connect probably like it would have 2,000 years ago. Because we don't get light and darkness because we don't talk about it. 
But if you were a Jewish man or woman 2,000 years ago, you would have been raised on the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament. And you would have been taught about the light of the world coming into darkness. And so when Jesus said, I am the light, which is the equivalent of truth or the law, he equated himself to that. And then he said, I've come to fulfill the law. Everything you see that's of God and is of goodness, it is in me. And then he proved it because he hung on a cross. And when everyone else abandoned him, he rose from the dead. And people went, you know what? I believe. Because if you can pull that off, you have to be the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And then he said to them, the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. What's so interesting about this is nobody from this point until his resurrection, stayed with him. They all abandoned him. But he was saying, there's going to be a day when you believe and you'll follow me and you're going to see what this looks like after my resurrection. And then this is the amazing thing. He says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will be able to know the truth. And this is so interesting and maybe it's a question I'd ask you today. Don't you want to know the truth? I mean, I know we all have feelings about the way things should be, but don't you want to know what's true? I know we have tendencies to lean in directions because of our experiences, but don't you want to know the truth? And I ask myself, I ask my children that all the time. Don't we really want to know the truth? And what if the truth could set us free from the darkness and the bondage that we live in? And then Jesus, he crawls up on the cross and he gave everything for us. And there's this idea that Jesus brings that outside of me, all you can bring up in your life is hell. Now, then Jesus he addresses the people that wouldn't believe in him. And here's a word of warning. If you're with us online or in the room, this is kind of intense if you're not a follower of Jesus. But it's not that he doesn't want you as part of his kingdom. He just is a truth teller. But he brings the full-on truth because he says, if, if you don't follow me, you belong to your father, the devil. That's strong, and I realize that. And you want to carry out your father's desires. And he's alluding to this fact that we're all born into brokenness and darkness. We all have sin crud in our life. But then he describes the father of evil, Satan. He said he, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And where the evil one leads is to no truth, no freedom, all dark and all bondage. That's what he says. When he lies, talking about Satan, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is so fascinating, and maybe you've never heard this before, but Satan's native tongue is deception. It's half-truths. It's lies. And he did this with Jesus. If you remember the story of Jesus in the desert when Satan tempted him, it was all with half-truths and the twisting of truths. And what happens when we live in a world of deception? This is kind of where we're going today. We open the door for chaos to come in our lives and destruction and to bring hell up because deception and half-truths and lies is hell's greatest weapon. And here's what I think Jesus is trying to say. Anything but the whole truth in our lives brings more hell into it. And it's Satan's native language to speak in deception. Now, native languages are uh, really an interesting thing. Years ago when my kids were little, we were at a family reunion, a family picnic, and my kids were just little, little duffers. And they're running around the yard with their hot dogs in hand. And this little, little chihuahua, about a 12-pound dog, comes running across to the neighbors and runs up to my kid. And you know that deal where the dog's barking versus the dog's angry? 
the dog was angry, snarling, angry. And I thought, that dog is going to bite one of my kids. And so, you know, I decided I'm going to be a hero dad against a 12-pound chihuahua, mind you. And so I reached down to grab the dog by the collar. And as I reached down, the dog spun around and bit me right in the webbing of my hand. Well, now I go from I'm protecting dad to really ticked off dad. And as he bit me, I clenched down on, well, his muzzle and picked him up. Now, know that when I was younger, I was pretty aggressive, unlike now where I'm gentle all the time. Anyway, uh, and what happened next, I'm not going to describe to you because I know some of you are dog lovers. The dog is fine. He's still alive doesn't walk real well, but he's still, he's, he, he's fine. Anyway, the dog let go and he had punctured my hand really bad. And there was a nurse there that was in our family and I showed her, said, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just clean it out. You'll be fine. Tuesday, two days later, I wake up and there are red lines running up my arm. I mean, big, thick, heavy red lines. And my wife said, hey, you should go to the doctor. I'm like, yeah, I should probably go to the ER. So I go into the ER, and the ER doctor was this woman. I think she was from like Czechoslovakia, if I'm saying that right. She had this thick, thick accent, and she's trying to tell me what's going on. And I understand through her broken English, and she's a great doctor, I just couldn't understand her real well, that I needed to stay in the hospital overnight or maybe two nights. And I'm like, we don't have great insurance. We're a young family. I don't want to spend the money. I am not staying here overnight. And then she just keeps talking and talking. I'm not understanding what she says until she says the word amputation. That's what she said. And I'm like, put me in whatever bed, wherever you want. I am staying for days on end if that's what it takes. And, you know, it was fine. And I healed up. But that interesting? That whole native tongue of how you speak, you know, you think you can understand and then you realize you don't. And here's the deal. We, we think, yeah, I can handle deception. I can handle half-truths. I can hide some stuff. But we don't know how to speak that language like the evil one does. And it bites us and hurts us every time. Because his language of deception is his influence. And when we let that in, we bring hell up and we let the evil one have his way with us. Now, you, you might ask, because I ask, well, what's, what's the solution? And it's not so simple of just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Although you should tell the truth, but it's not quite that simple. It's bigger than that. If we're going to combat our enemy's greatest weapon, deception and lies, we have to understand how to fight that battle. And luckily for us, Paul, like the Apostle Paul, who wrote more than half the New Testament, he gives us some insight to this. In Ephesians chapter 5, this little letter he writes to some people that were struggling with the very same thing that you struggle with and I struggle with. In Ephesians 5, Paul says this. He says, For you were once darkness, strong words, but now you are light in the Lord. And this whole idea, he's speaking about once these people once were, and heaven here represents light. You're light. You're from heaven. God is in you. And now you have a choice. Now that you're not in darkness, you have a choice to bring heaven down in every interaction of your life or hell up. And another way to phrase this is you can have heaven or light come down into your life. And light is a metaphor, and this is big, for truth. Now hear me, because this is one of the major things human beings struggle with. Not your truth. And that's a popular phrase these days, and I'm not mad about that. Not my truth. 
Not the truth of how I want things to be or how I want my emotions to feel or how I want the way the world works. Not that kind of truth, but God's truth. And here's what's so interesting. When we place our faith in Jesus, we can see through the lens of light. And hell in this represents darkness. And darkness is this idea where you're blind and you can't see where you're going. And you just keep bumping into things and hurting yourself. And when there's darkness, you just keep bringing more and more hell up. That's what he's talking about. Then he says, live. This is the way you live your life. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Can I ask you a question? Do you think our world would be better? Do you think your family would be better if we had more goodness as God defines it? More righteousness, which means we're in the right place with God. God and I are right together and truth in our lives and find out what pleases the Lord. This is how we should be. Now, he's talking to people that are followers of Jesus. If you're here, if you're watching online, and you would say, but Matt, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I get it. I'm so glad you're a part of this morning. Don't you think your life would be better with more goodness and truth in it? And when you come into relationship with Jesus, he gives you his very spirit that empowers you to walk in the ways of light and truth and righteousness and live there. And then he says this, listen, followers of Jesus, have nothing, this is strong, to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. What he's saying is no dabbling in the dark anymore. It doesn't mean you're not going to stumble or have tough times. You're not going to make mistakes. But listen, we're just not going to intentionally dabble in the dark because that's what brings disaster in our lives. We're going to walk in truth according to God and live that light out. Now, I want to come back to a word that's so strong that we need to hang on for a minute. And it's this word, expose. And And I realize this is a terrifying word. Because this means be aware and then bring whatever is dark into the light. It's, it's that deal where you're cleaning out your garage. Some of us are doing that because it's spring. And you get to that very back corner. And there's some stuff growing on some stuff that you don't know what that stuff is in the back corner. You know what I mean? Because it lives in the dark and there's some things on it and some bugs. And it's just gross. And you pull it out in the sunshine. And you spray it down with the hose and you let it bake in the sun. That's exposing some stuff that's yucky to the light. And Paul says, yeah, that's what I want you to do. I want you to pull it out of the dark places, whatever it is, and expose it to the light. Now, if I could just back out of that a second, I want to use a psychological term. And it's a psychological term called consciousness. You know this. It's the idea to be aware of something. It's consciousness of truth. It's consciousness of honesty. And when we think of this word, we think of physical consciousness, but I want you also to think on the idea of spiritual consciousness. And this is how when you have spiritual consciousness, you start to understand what's really going on, not because you're smarter than everybody else, because a lot of Christians are not smarter, but you have light in the dark places because you've opened your eyes to truth and to circumstances Now, here's the challenge. We get so caught up in everybody else's circumstances. I want to expose. I want to bring to light everyone else's circumstances. The challenge for us is we're not willing to do it in our own own lives. Like take an honest look in the mirror. And what's so easy in these moments is just to deceive ourselves. I look at the yuck in the corner of the garage of my heart. And I go, you know what? It's okay. 
it's not a big deal. I mean, God, I mean, it's it's just the way it should be. It it feels better to go down this road. And it brings us back to this idea of light and darkness. Can I just tell you, my, my friends, this is why we need truth in our lives and we need people in our lives. This is why we need the scriptures Because there's days I wake up and I just want to go my own direction. But when I have something that's concrete, like God's order of things for my marriage, myself as a father, as a man, as a human being, it's concrete. But it's also the reason I need some other people in my life. I need some people, and I think you need some people, that are willing to look at you and tell you the truth. And it's not enough just to listen to a sermon once a week. And I love the fact you guys listen to me and you come. I I really appreciate that, and I think it's helpful. But it's not enough. We need friends that are willing to compromise the friendship for the friend. In other words, I love you so much that I'm going to tell you the truth in a way that I might lose you as a friend. But I can't let you keep walking down these roads. I love you so much and I care about you so much. I'm going to tell you something that might hurt your feelings because I care about you. I want to hear that from my friends in my life. I love you so much that you might be mad at me. You might be angry at me. You may not talk to me for a while. And that's going to hurt my feelings, but I love you so much. I am going to tell you the truth. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody in your life have permission to talk to you that way? That knows the truth and walks in the light. Problem for me, I'm guessing the problem for you, the problem with humanity is we see the darkness and we close our eyes to it and pretend it's not there. And we, we cover up and we hide. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. There was just a little bit of consciousness creeped into Adam and Eve's life and they could see what was really there and they realized they're naked and they had sinned and what did they do? They take some leaves off the trees and they cover up. It's the weirdest story. And then they go and hide as if you can hide from God. It's silly, right? But isn't that what we all do? We hide from God when we have darkness or we hide just our little bit of darkness that we have from God. And it's silly because it's like, what do you think? God hasn't seen this before? Or God doesn't know you see, we hide from God when we deny, we cover up, and we tell half-truths to ourselves, to the people we love, and to God. And Paul says something that is the solution to this, because he knows, listen, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back. We're broken human beings. No one in this room or online or anywhere in the world is going to stand before God on their own and go, hey, I got it all together and I'm perfect. That is a lie, right? And so Paul has an answer, and his answer to our darkness is, Simply this, would you be willing to expose it? And when you expose your darkness into the light, it brings heaven down. Would you be willing to look it right in the eye and call darkness darkness and say, it's not okay anymore? As much as it's humanly possible for you and for me, would you just say, I'm going to let the chips fall where they may, and I'm going to bring my mess and sin into life. It's the first best step into dealing with our darkness. Here's the challenge. Exposing darkness is terrifying. And it's terrifying because people are going to know some stuff that you didn't want them to know, like your wife or your kids or your boss. It's terrifying. 
And people will say this to me. I've heard it so many times. Matt, can't we just leave the past in the past? That happened 10 years ago. That happened a year ago. That happened last month. And we're kind of past it, and we're not talking about it, and I feel like I kind of got lucky. Can't we just leave it in the past? You can leave it in the past if you want hell to come up in your life. Because that stuff always comes out sometime. It always comes back around sometimes. But if you want to bring heaven down and God down into your life in a way that's apparent, you've got to expose it to the light. You might ask the question, you know, how do you do that? And why would you do that? Look, look what Paul says. He says, therefore, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be so interesting. Because you would think this word would not be healed. You think this would be forgiven. Confess each, to your sins to each other so you're forgiven. Or so you're better. Or you get over said, No, Paul says, confess your sins to one another. Not just to God, but to one another. So you can be healed. You can be whole. You know what Paul, I think, is saying? Secrets make people sick. And when you're sick, you need to be healed. And we think we're hiding our secrets because I'm protecting people. I'm protecting my kids. I'm protecting my wife. I'm protecting my mama, right? But eventually that stuff comes out and it hurts you. It hurts me. And here's what I'm convinced. It hurts the heart of God who loves you. It's why if you ever go to counseling or therapy with a really good counselor, one of the things they're going to try and help you do is bring the truth out of your situation. And you want to go to a counselor for that. People want to come to me for that. I am not a good person to come for for that because I will go, dude, just tell the truth. We all know you're lying. I'm not good at that. A counselor will do a great job of help bringing it out without destroying you. So go to a counselor, right? And research shows this. It's so interesting, and this is why I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, we fear the consequence of confession more than the consequence of concealment. I'm so afraid to confess my sin. Concealment's so much more dangerous because when it finally comes out, it blows everything to hell. It's so much more destructive. And we're deceived into thinking I can like outlive it, outrun it, outchase it if I just hide it. It's way worse. I heard a story this week about a man that was going to ask a woman to marry him, and right before he asked, he, uh, he cheated on her. Cheated on her. And he thought, I ought to tell her, but if I tell her, I'm going to ask her to marry me, and she's going to say no. So he didn't tell her, and he proposed, and she said, yeah, and they got engaged, but he didn't tell her, because now she won't marry me if she finds out I got this secret. And so they got married, and he thought, okay, now that we're married, I should really tell her about what I've done because we're married, but maybe she'll leave me. So he didn't tell her. and Nothing immediately happened, but this idea that he could lie to his wife and keep a secret from his wife just got easier and easier. And so he started using his money in some really strange ways and incurring debt, and he didn't tell her about where he was spending his money. And then he took his money, and he started spending it on things to, that he was getting addicted to. He didn't tell her about the addiction because it just got easier and easier for him to lie to his wife because he was getting more and more used to it. And then he met someone online. It was just emotional at first. And then it became physical. And he thought, oh, I'm just going to, I can't tell. I will blow my life up. And then she found out. 
And by the time she found out, it blew everything to pieces. It blew their marriage to pieces. It destroyed his children. It ended, essentially, his relationship to his children. He lost his job over it. And the consequence of a lie that grew bigger and bigger and bigger, and then he followed the trail of the lie, was far worse than if you just told her in the first place. You had a struggling marriage? It's not uncommon, right? It's probably not as much from finances or communication or sex. Those are all problems in marriage. It probably has something to do with secrets. It's the biggest enemy of marriage in our world. It brings hell up into our lives. That's why the Apostle Paul said this, have nothing, nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, there's that word, expose them. Because you know what grows in the dark? Mold, fungus, all sorts of ugly things. And then he gets even more extreme. This is what he says. Now let me explain this before you jump to conclusions. He says, it is shameful even to mention what, is the, disobe- what the disobedient do in secret. Now when I was growing up, in the church I was in, not from my mama. My mama's in church here today somewhere. So, mom, this was not your fault. But where I was growing up, the church I was in, love my mama. I hope she takes me out for lunch today. That's what I'm really hoping for. Um, th- this verse was all about those people over there, the shameful people. That's what I thought it was. But when you kind of examine this just a little bit closer, you realized that's it shameful to even mention what the disobedient, because I can be disobedient, do in secret. And you know why it's shameful? Because what I do in the dark is shameful. I'm embarrassed by it. And I can feel really guilty, but guilty just simply says, hey, I failed at this thing. But shame says I'm a failure. And why, what I tend to do is keep it even more secret and more dark and hide it from everyone else. And you know this shame makes you a slave to shame. And the more you cover it up, the more shameful you feel. But grace and God's forgiveness through what Jesus has done on the cross says you can bring it into the light. And when you bring it into the light and you can expose it, it can be forgiven, it can be dealt with, and your failures and your choices don't have to define you anymore. Look what Paul finishes this up with. He says, but everything, everything. Think about the worst things that you've done that you don't want anybody to know. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. That's terrifying. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. You've seen this, and I've seen this. You have seen people with the worst failures in the world somehow on the other side when they bring it into reality they bring into the light they get help they get counseling they invite jesus in now it becomes a story of god's grace and his goodness and how they overcame we've all heard those stories our favorite stories some of them are marriages that look like they would never be put back together and god put them back together because some people got honest and truthful and got the help from god that they needed and you could be God's greatest story. Do you know your dark stuff could be God's greatest story because of his grace? And you might say, Matt, oh my. If you knew my biggest failure, you wouldn't even let me come to church here. I assure you that is not true. I assure you that we're all failures except for the grace of God. But bringing it to the light is what makes all the difference in the world. Now, This is tough. 
And I realize it's tough, and you may be sitting in your seat going, holy cow, I don't even know what to do with all this today, but I know I need to do something. And so I I thought I would tell you maybe just a softer story. In fact, I wanted to tell you a, a children's story today, just to kind of bring us home today. It's a story of Billy Bixby. Maybe you've heard the story of Billy Bixby. You see, Billy Bixby, this little boy, woke up one morning. And he woke up, and at the end of his bed was a cat-sized dragon sitting on the end of his bed. And he was shocked, like there's a dragon on my bed. And he ran downstairs to his mom, and he said, Mom, Mom, you're not going to believe this. There's a dragon sitting on my bed. And his mama looked at him, like most mamas would, and said, Billy, there's no such thing as dragons. But Mom, Mom, no, Billy, there's no such thing as dragons. Now go get ready and come back down for breakfast. So that's exactly what Billy did, and he ignored the dragon. Now he comes back down, and now the dragon is the size of a small dog or a medium-sized dog, and the dragon is sitting on the table, but no one's allowed to sit on the table. But there's no such thing as dragons. So Billy and his mom, they just ignored the dragon, and the mom starts to make pancakes, lots and pots of pancakes and stacks of pancakes. And she brings them to Billy, but the dragon eats all of them, stack after stack after stack. And Billy only gets one dragon, but he, or only one pancake. But he's okay with that because there's no such thing as dragons. And the dragon is so full and he's so happy. He decides, I'm, I'm just going to take a nap. And they didn't pay attention to the napping dragon because there's no such thing as dragons. But as the dragon's napping, he grew. And he grew and he grew and he's laying in the hallway of this house, blocking the hallway where no one can get through to the other rooms of the house. But no one paid any attention to that. No one did anything, no one said anything because there's no such thing as dragons. And the mama went about her work cleaning and dusting, but she couldn't get through the house. So she'd have to climb into each window of each room of the house to do her work because the dragon was blocking everything. He was becoming so big. But that was okay because there's no such thing as dragons. And suddenly, the dragon filled the house as he grew. And he woke up, and now he woke up hungry and famished again. And in that moment, a bread truck drove by the house, and it was fresh baked bread and the smell of bread that was wafting out of the truck. And the dragon thought, I want the bread. And the the dragon jumped up on his feet, and he ran after that bread truck. And he looked like a turtle running down the street. It just the house was the shell on the back of the turtle. And he took off and he chased after it. And Billy, in fear, started to scream, Mom, Mom, there's a... And she said, Billy, there's no such thing as dragons. As a dragon chased the bread truck of the house on his back. Well, eventually... Mr. Bixby came home and he couldn't believe what he found. His house was gone. The foundation was left. He's like, what happened? And a neighbor ran over and said, you're not going to believe this. I just saw your, your house run down the street. It was crazy. Mr. Bixby jumped in his car and he drove after the house and he finally caught up to it. And when he caught up to it, he walked upstairs to the second story of the house and he looked out the window. He's like, what happened? And Billy's like, Dad, thank goodness you're here. You're not going to believe it. There's a, and his mom jumped in. Billy, there's no such thing as dragons. And Billy decided, no, 
I'm going to insist there's such thing as dragons. He said, Mom, Dad, look at this dragon. And it was like, oh, their eyes were open. Here's a huge dragon that's almost destroyed our entire house. And in that moment, the dragon began to shrink so fast and so soon. It didn't take long that they were back at home where they were supposed to be. And the dragon was back to the size of a house cat. And there were dragons in the house that day. Now, you may be like, Matt, what in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about? That's a profound story of how to overcome darkness and bring light to it by realizing it actually exists. And the darkness can be defeated by the light, but you got to go, that's dark. No matter how much I want to ignore it and pretend it's not there, that's something that should not be. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. My friends, whatever you're facing today, alone, in the dark, whether it's something from the past or something from the present, it can be defeated, it can be overcome, but only when it's brought into the light. Only when we say, listen, that's darkness, and I need light to come. And not your light, not my light, not culture's light, but the light of Jesus, who is the light of the world. And for some of you, I mean, this is terrifying, because it may be something you need to reveal to someone, because you just can't live in darkness anymore. It may be the realization that I have literally been calling something right that's actually wrong and it appeals to my emotions and appeals to my feelings but in the end if it's not God's design it's not the best design it may be the terrifying conversation you have to have with your spouse with your kids with your boss and you don't know where it's going to go just know that history dictates that never go somewhere good when it's left in the dark. But your heavenly Father is on your side. Your heavenly Father gave his son Jesus that you could bring light to the darkness and the mold and the fungus and the ugly things that grow in the dark parts of our lives could be exposed so we can bring heaven down. Because we are done pulling hell up. And we do not want any more of that. The choice is yours. Choice is mine. And no, none of us are going to get it all perfect today, but we have a choice to step in the right direction. So to close us out today, I thought I would just read you a simple prayer. It's the cadet's prayer. It's, what's the, it's part of the prayer the cadets at West Point pray, and it's so good. I just thought I'd share it with you. This is what they pray. Heavenly Father, strengthen and increase our admiration for honest dealing. Isn't that great? and clean thinking and suffer not our hatred of hypocrisy and pretense ever to diminish encourage us in our endeavor to live above the common level of life make us to choose the harder right make us to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong and never to be content with a half truth when the whole truth can be one. God's inviting you to the whole truth today. He's inviting me to the whole truth. Not so you'd just be right for right's sake, but you would be right because 
He's the one over us. And it's the way he designed it. And he benefits and we benefit in his kingdom when we follow. So the invitation is follow the light of the world who gave his very life for you and then rose from the dead so you could trust in it fully. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for the light of the world that's come into this world, come into my world. And Lord, you're there when I stumble, you're there when I get it right some days, when I don't get it right, and you love me in spite of it, and you love all of us, but you're calling us to bring darkness into the light. And Lord, we know it's the best path forward. Help us not to be deceived by half-truths, deception, and lies, but help us to embrace the truth that comes only from you, Jesus. Thank you for your love and your grace and the kingdom of God and heaven that's come to this earth that we get to be a part of for eternity. And I just pray for anybody that's in this place or watching online, listening online, that is considering a relationship with you, that they would just step towards you as their Lord and Savior and the forgiveness, forgiver of their sins. Thanks for your immense love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.